his goal to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Rock and roll. Kia ora everybody. Today FM, Rebet Hollis. This is Rebet Live, episode 306. It's a Saturday. I hope it's going epic and amazing for you. Wherever you are in Aotearoa, the goal of the show is pretty simple. Learn, share, repeat. Who can we talk to? What do they know? And how can we help others? Main goal of that, pretty simple belief that I think. It's New Zealand wins when New Zealanders win. We want to try and help you with that. Uh, you can join the community. Uh, text us anytime you want, 3920, or you can call through 0800 TFM. Coming up on the show today, we've got property commentator and very opinionated political weapon. His name is Ashley Church. He's going to be coming to talk to us around the OCR rise. What's OCR? Let's ask Ashley. Uh, youngest ever guest, Lila McDonald. She's going to be our tall poppy profile of the day, which we're very excited about. And the incoming Reserve Bank chief economist, Paul Conway, is going to be joining me and talking about prepare, preparations for the new big role, helping shift and shape New Zealand's economy. We've got Big Bruce and a whole bunch more business in a minute. And of course, Ask Rebet. If you've got a question you would like to ask me, text through 3920 or call through 0800 today FM. Question for you today, before we kick off, where are you going for the holiday weekend? Or if it's already Saturday, you potentially have already left. So where are you right now? Are, you, are your feet kicked up? Are you on the beach? You got the beers out? You got a fire going? You got kids waking you up and doing all sorts of bits and pieces? Maybe you're hungover. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, I hope you have a mega time. Enjoy as you kick on here with uh, Rebet Live on Today FM. All right, let's kick off the show, ladies and gentlemen. Interview number one for the day. Very excited about this. Uh, a co-founder and director of a company called FTN Motion. Now, they are on a mission to build the world's most beautiful electric mopeds and motorcycles uh, with a pretty exciting new business model. And they're a Kiwi company based in Wellington. Welcome to the show, Saskia Thornton. Thanks, Brett. Nice to be here. Uh, very, very exciting times. Now, uh, it's not often that you see, you know, an awesome little pop-up uh, startup come from New Zealand with such a clean and simple mission of on a mission to build the world's most beautiful electric mopeds and motorcycles. So, in a quick nutshell, uh, give it, give the uh, audience a little bit of insight of, you know, the company, what it does, and, and what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. So, the two original founders of FTN Motion are both engineers, Luke and Kendall, and they've been working on designing or putting together an electric moped for for about five years now and the whole philosophy that they um brought into the design was bringing the design back to the simpler times so clean really clean fluid styling and really making a bike that people immediately see and they want to jump on and ride so taking 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 back electric or taking back mobility to uh, something that's really enjoyable and something that's really accessible and people just want to do. So our whole yeah. mission is trying to get people out or inspire people to think of alternative solutions to the car. So we think designing a really beautiful electric moped is something that will do just that. The reason that I jumped onto that specifically is, you know, when you look at zero, they're talking about beautiful accounting software. And then you say that, and, and when I saw beautiful electric mopeds and you look at the design and it's and it's clean and it's swift, it's obviously just such a, a, a core focus on design and beauty and sleek. So the, the genesis from this, it started from 
from from like what was the point of hey we need to do this and and particularly why in New Zealand? Yes, yeah, so well we're we're from New Zealand. Uh, the founders are from New Zealand as well, and um, yeah, the reason that we want to do it is because we found electric mopeds these days that people are going more and more into. Um, making more noise onto an electric moped. So there's more accessories, more uh, things are starting to look very modern, very sharp, very accessorized. Whereas we think when bringing things back to a more minimalistic fluid styling, it's really an inspiring piece of of a vehicle that can really get people motivated into jumping on and riding. So riding the moped is just as intuitive and easy as it looks. So we want to make it as accessible for for people as possible. So we've also done things like making, um, we've got integrated 30 litres of integrated storage and the whole design of it is that clean cafe racer design. So uh, it's very practical, but also very beautiful to look at. It is sleek, it is awesome. And you know, the, the different LinkedIn posts and stuff you've been posting where it sort of came across it a while ago. I was like, this is really, really cool. So talk about the last year. So you've had, uh, you know, you've had, I think it's, it's two raises you've done the last year, had a 1.6 and you're doing some some other stuff. Tell, tell me about the, the journey of building a company and, and what this ride's been like in the last 12 months in terms of where, where you started from, where you're at. Yeah, so we've, we've done, we've launched just over a year ago and we've done two raises of um, a smaller smaller raise and then a slightly larger raise. And we've had a really good response um, when we launched into the market. It's it's just amazing. I think because the bikes just look so distinctive and so unlike anything on the market um, that especially people in New Zealand have seen before, it's attracted a lot of attention. Um, so we were lucky also to get a whole lot of, early, we've called them early adopters, who pre-deposited um, some money saying that they would buy our first 100 bikes. Um, so that gave us a lot of early market traction that then enabled us to get some really good investors on board as well. And then the great thing is um, we're obviously doing something right because most of our original investors have reinvested for the second round as well. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been a really good ride. We've learned a lot along the way in terms of uh, putting together first beta bikes and now we're getting ready to do the next 100 um, that we've pre-sold. And we're doing another capital raise to help us do that, uh, which will be starting shortly as well. So the, the the model in terms of revenue is you're pre-selling 100 motorcycles, getting the cash in, using that to do the manufacturing and then doing it in a, a cycled system so you don't get kind of strung with the, the cash flow. Is that kind of the strategy in terms of how you're going to scale up the um, ability of the, of the company? At the moment, that is a bit of our strategy just because we're in, yeah, it's tricky times with supply at the moment and also being a startup cash is always a little bit strapped. So we're lucky that our customers, we've got such good demand that we've been able to get that support from our customers that has helped us, um, um, well, has helped us move the business along faster in terms of cash. Um, but whether we do that long-term, we're still undecided, It's it's, but it is a strategy that we've been using at the moment. So if you just join in, I'm talking to Saskia Thornton, the uh, one of the co-founders and directors for marketing strategy at um, FTN Motion on a mission to build the world's most beautiful electric mopeds. So I wanted to ask you a quick question. Practically, you design it up, you know, your team gets these, you know, fancy drawings out and they're all on the computer. You've got the sketches and bits and pieces. How do you actually make a, 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 a 
a moped company in New Zealand? Do you literally just like send an email to some designs to the local factory? Like how are you doing the manufacturing specifically? Like like talk me through the actual logistics of that because I don't think you know, everyone can just say, oh, I'm just going to go start a motorcycle company and just go do it. How do you manufacture these things? Yeah, good question. So uh, as I mentioned before, Luke and Kendall are both engineers. They've done all the design and engineering behind it. And we've also made use of a lot of local suppliers, especially because of COVID, supply has been a real issue. So we've made use of local manufacturers as much as possible. And then we're doing all our assembly in-house. So we've got a premise in Wellington, and that's where we're assembling all the all the bikes. So we've just assembled our first 10 beta units there, and that's also where we will be assembling the first 100 as well, the early adopter bikes. So we've got a small team of around... And 13 people now or 12 or 13 and they're mainly engineers and assembly technicians that are helping put everything together so you, you mentioned supply chain Saskia what's the biggest hold up on on parts what can't you get and what effect has that had on price particularly with the the, the costings to get certain certain elements that have become trickier through COVID yeah it's not really um that we haven't so far we've been lucky we haven't not been able to get anything it's just purely timelines and um that obviously lengthened even more so with covid but also being a startup you know getting things (laughs) getting things moving design signed off that's that's a lengthy process being the first bikes that we're producing so there's quite a lot of smoothing out of of that area that we still need to do but being able to work with local suppliers means that we're much a- we're more able to get faster results, faster turnarounds on things, changes, try things out quickly and, and get a result and then move forward. So it's been really beneficial working locally as much as possible. And obviously you're going into this world. We really like to support local business as well. We're local ourselves. So the more we can do that, the better. And our customers love it as well. Yeah, that's it's it's amazing. So the uh, going down the electric path for a second, you know, Tesla pops up now, one of the biggest companies in the world. You know, Ford, the, the new F one fifty in the states just come out with this all electric thing. So much of the market's shifting to this electric space. Can you just what's your, I guess, prediction or take or macro view on how electric transportation, even in the last mile or whatever it is, is fundamentally going to change within the next decade? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because I actually live in Amsterdam and there it's almost like living a little bit in the future. So what we're seeing, obviously, in, in the Netherlands, there's always been a big biking um, culture there, but it's more than more than half of all the sales now of bi- bicycles are electric. And we're definitely see, seeing more and more of a move to different types of electric two-wheel, um, two-wheel, two, two-wheel vehicles. So although they have a lot of EV car subsidies, it's beyond just getting people into cars because that's actually not going to solve problems of congestion. Um, and, and the big problem in New Zealand that we have is most people are driving to and from work because there's also no public transport or the public transport's not very good. And most people are driving alone. So if you can imagine the solution in New Zealand currently has been to keep building more roads. But we see a big part of the solution in the future is to look at things like electric two-wheel vehicles like like what we're doing, but also there are many others as well, electric bikes. And also part of the solution is sharing. There's a big emphasis in the Netherlands where I'm from or where I live around sharing vehicles. So sharing your car and also a lot of sharing 
um, two-wheel mobility vehicles as well. I mean, before we wrap up, I've kind of got three key things I need to know. One, how heavy of a human can sit on one of these things? <laughs> and I'm, maybe, I'm asking for a friend, but how heavy can yeah. you, what's the max weight load package that you can hold on these, these FTN machines? Yeah, so that actually uh, you can also, well, max weight, is, we say around 200 kilos. Oh, I'm in. I'm safe. Okay, I'm in, team. I, I got it. <laughs> you can also ride with two passengers as well. So um, they they are designed to take a bit of weight. Uh, how fast can they go? They can go 50 kilometres an hour. So that's the other big thing about them is that they're moped class. So anyone with just a car licence can ride them. You don't need a motorcycle licence to get on it. All right, so it can take up to two people, goes 50Ks, and what's the range on, on, a, on a charge if you're just an average-sized human? It's a 100-kilometer range. Let's go. That's awesome. All right. Uh, and then maybe final one, uh, does it come up, do you have an option just to have it in all black, just straight black, black on black on black? Is that an option? Yeah, so we, we've got an option of having, we've got a, a really nice matte black, and then it has the... Uh, the stripe, the long stripe, and the FTN Motion logo in a gloss black. So that's a really sleek option if you're inclined to go that way. Let's go. Hey, I really appreciate your time, Saskia. Best of luck with the, the next raises, whatever it is that you decide to do. It's awesome seeing a, a cool Kiwi business doing great things. So I wish you the best on your journey. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's go. All right, there we go. Uh, Saskia, thanks so much for joining in the mix. Uh, coming up next, it's Young Bucks, and today's guest is making waves in the world of dessert drinks. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. So what we get drunk, so what we don't sleep. We're just having fun, we don't care who sees. Welcome back everybody. Today FM, Rebet Hulls, this is Rebet Live, episode 306. Uh, Young Bucks, what is Young Buck? Young Future Kiwi doing great things that is, we're giving a bit of a spotlight on to tell them a little bit about themselves, what they're working on, and today we're very fortunate enough to have Tanya Hazeltine join us, the owner of Petite Chai. How are you, Tanya? Kia ora. I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? We are rolling. Okay, so uh, you don't sound like you're 70. Uh, how old are you, where are you from, and what's your business? Um, I'm 20 years old and my business is Petite Chat. It's a bubble tea shop that I've opened up in New Plymouth. Originally, I'm from Cambodia, born and raised there, and then I moved to New Zealand a couple of years ago. Let's go. How you like it? How's New Zealand been treating you? Obviously, you're starting businesses and getting the ball rolling. You must be hyped and happy. Yep, yep, it's good. The first couple of winters in New Zealand were pretty difficult to get through, um, but I think I'm getting there. You're not even down in Invercargill and Gore. You can't be bitching about the weather just yet. Jeez, it's not that tough. <laughs> um, so we're so there. I, I I grew up in Fiji and when I was way younger, and I can definitely understand the the, the heat. Um, so tell me a little bit about what made you want to start the business. When you, uh, how long has it been going? And give us the genesis story of, of how it started. Yeah. So the business has been open for about like as a physical store, it's been open for about three, four months now. Um, but it first started up when I was in year 12 in high school. So I think that might've been like two to three years ago. Um, I did it under the Young Enterprise Scheme with one of my boarding school mates. And we kind of just 
did it because um, I really missed having bubble tea. Came to New Zealand for school um, and there weren't any bubble tea shops around. Um, and the one that there was around, you could only really get it like once a month at like a seaside market. So got my mom to send over some bubble tea products. Um, and we just started making it with like a kettle and like a little rice cooker in our boarding school room. Um, and then when we took up enterprise studies, we thought, oh, we might as well do this as part of our enterprise studies and, you know, kind of make some money off of it while we get to have it ourselves. And so we just started off by selling at school during school lunches. Um, and then sometimes at the markets as well. And then the following year, um, I decided to take up the class again and take it a step further. COVID happened. So we, so I turned everything into kits that you could buy and make it yourself at home. So instead of doing that extra step of like preparing the drink already made, you could just buy the kit and take it home and um, do it. And then since then it went really, really well, um, kind of blew up all over. New Zealand for a little bit and then it just went real steady and it was really good to keep going. Um, so last year, yeah, last year we saw a little lease for sale um, in New Plymouth at a really good location and we decided to take it up and get it started full time. There you go. All right. So let's rewind back just a little bit. For those that aren't aware that are just used to, you know, water, wine and whiskey, what is bubble tea? So bubble tea, it's kind of like a dessert drink. It's the best I can describe it. Um, it's tea-based, obviously, and you can um, you can pick anything. So you can pick from fruit teas, milk teas. You could even do sodas and slushies. Like the purpose, a classic bubble tea is a milk tea with these little tapioca pearls inside. They're made from tapioca starch and a bit of water. So when you boil them up, they just add like this chewy texture, texture to the drink. Um, but now, obviously, bubble tea has evolved, so you can choose any drink that you want. You can put jellies, popping bobas, tapioca pearls, anything that you want in it. So it's pretty much just a dessert drink. Love it. But but in terms of the options, it's almost like a subway. You can pick and choose whatever you want because a lot of the listeners, they probably wouldn't have had one before. So, and, and I will speak for myself. I've never actually had one before. I've seen them pop up. I, they're obviously getting more popular. So let's rewind back a bit. You're 20, 20 years old. You, you're looking at signing leases. What was it like? Is this the first kind of company you've sort of started? And was that a bit of a nervous process thinking about, oh, here we go, I got to do a lease and I got to think about the CapEx and OpEx and, and, and out, outputs and all the rest of it and stock and stuff. Talk me through, like, what was the most, uh, I guess, was it, was it scary starting? Like, what was, the, what was the feelings when you're trying to kick off a, you know, sign a lease at 20 and, and, and kicking off this business in the bricks and mortar world? Um, well, both my parents are business people um especially my mom she's done she started up a lot of businesses in Cambodia and just growing up and watching her I guess I kind of got like the gist of it so when we found this lease and we were signing it 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 was a little scary but it was more exciting than anything because um like I had before that I'd been working um in a few hospitality jobs got experience through that um like I said my parents are very involved into business as well so they were a huge help in getting me started um and the rest from there was just kind of, it was scary, but it was more exciting than it was scary. And I, like I said, I had the support of my family, so it wasn't too difficult. It was pretty easy getting it up and running. The I guess the most difficult part was when we went into that lockdown mid last year as well. We kind of had to put everything on halt and just wait it out because you couldn't really do anything. Um, shipping times took longer, but we got there in the end. 
I'm pretty interested in the idea of how you approach marketing. Now, a lot of uh, people that are listening probably in a bit older demographic, I'm imagining you don't have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in marketing budget. You've got your brand, you've got your location. In a nutshell, how have you marketed the company specifically? So just, I'm very in touch with Instagram. The way we've marketed is just honestly, just through social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, our, we do get like a lot of students that come in buying bubble teas after school and they kind of, you know, take photos of it, videos of it with their friends, and then they repost it onto their social media. So it's kind of like this chain of um, having other people advertise it for you. And then that's kind of how we've been doing our advertising and marketing. Now, for those uh, people who are scared of digital marketing and understanding it, just for clarity, you basically spent zero money, you used social media, the customers came in and they amplified the message for you and essentially gave you free PR and marketing with zero cost, right? Yep, pretty much it. <laughs> what What advice would you give to other people that are older than yourself listening here when they're thinking about potentially marketing their business? I think when it comes to marketing your business, obviously you need to understand your customer base. And for our, for my customer base, it is a lot of the, you know, younger mid generations and we're quite in touch with using like digital media. So um, I guess one of the ways that we kind of got people to take video stories was to create a really welcoming atmosphere, you know, something that was, you know, picture worthy in a way. Um, and then we just kind of, um, every now and then we'll do little competitions like, you know, if you tag us in this or take a photo and show us this, you could win a free drink. And it's not really hard to take a photo or do a little video. So people were more than willing to do it just for like a free drink. And then that's kind of how we created the whole marketing idea around that. And then obviously, you know, once people start doing it, other people um, hop on the same train, even if there's no reward in it and they just keep on doing it. So you just get all this like extra marketing that you don't really have to pay much for I absolutely love it. Awesome, Tanya. Now, if people wanted to check out uh, your company, your website, your Instagram, where can they go to? What can they do? They can go to Petitcha NZ. Um, it's the same for our Instagram, our Facebook, and then our website is just petitcha.com. I love it. Uh, thanks so much, Tanya. Uh, this has been T Tanya Hazeltine, owner of Petit Chai for a young buck this week. Coming up after the break, I'll give you my business in a minute tip, and we'll also cover off today's time for this week. See you in a second. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. All right, coming up in a second is Te Reo time, learning a little bit around that Te Reo Māori language and a bit of the journey through it. But first, it's business in a minute. 60 seconds to make your business better, practical and tactical, as fast as we can in 60 seconds. Here we go. If you're in business and if you're on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a basically an online free resume thing. It's also a social media for professionals. But what not many people realize you can do with LinkedIn is literally if you're trying to find the connection of the CFO or the CEO or the sales manager or the marketing manager or the general manager or the operations manager, whatever it may be, you can literally filter and search out a person that person's job at a certain company. All you need to do is go into the search bar, type in what business, you click companies, 
type for the the role that you want and it literally shows up so a low a lot of time in business it's hard to try and get to the right decision maker you know the great thing about new zealand with you know two degrees of separation is everyone knows everyone but even better when it comes to linkedin is you can literally find out the name the title where they work and what they do you could even just search for marketing managers of companies people that live in Palmerston North and they'll all pop there and you can see them. It's an amazing free epic way to be able to use LinkedIn to try and get you to better contacts. So that is your business in a minute tip. It's Rebecca Live on Today FM. Alrighty, it's Tereo time. Uh, I am joined, very lucky to be joined from uh, Karepe McDonald from Culture Flow. How are you my bro? Okay, the pay away. I'm all good, bro. Nice to be on here. Very, very cool. Hey, appreciate you joining up. So, uh, you'll be helping me with my my little journey as I'm going through today. I've been feeling, you know, a little bit guilty. I can speak more Japanese than I can today, and I'm obviously very uh, proudly Māori. My whānau is from Ngāti Parau East Coast and all the rest of it. But, you know, we're going to be doing Kiwaka o Te Wiki, so like kind of phrase or saying of the week. So, to start off with, uh, what do you have for us? Well, Tamir Tutahi, our first one for this program will be Kare e Koatu, Kare e Komai. And this pretty much the definition of this kiwaha is there is no one better. So if I was to say there's no one better than you, Robert, for let's say uh, cooking meat, we'll just say cooking meat, eh? Kare e Koatu, Kare e Komai, Iakwe, Hoa, Mote Mahi Tunu Miti, Kapai. And, you know, it can be used on people. It can use, be used about describing things. Um, you know, a uh, restaurant you went to, you can say, oh, kāre ko atu, kāre ko mai tua wharekai uh, sushi pia. <laughs> there you go. It can be, and it's real, really about whakanui tangata, whakanui mahi. So all about um, celebrating a person or celebrating uh, a state of something, you know, people, places, whatever it may be. Mokuake um, for me, I could use karikoatu, karikomai, it's taira fiti motona atahuatanga. So there's no way more beautiful than the East Coast. I would, being from Waipiro Bay, I would happily agree. Uh, you know, why, why do you think it's important for, for Kiwis to kind of engage and in, in, engage with Tereo and, and more of the amazing culture of, of Māori? Yes, most definitely. You know, um, this year is quite significant for especially Tereo Māori because it's the 50th year of the um, Tereo Māori position back in 1972. It's uh, the 40 years of Kohanga Reo, um, you know, a whole lot of different kaupapa that have happened to uplift Te Reo Māori um, has all happened in some way on this year, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it may be. And that's, that's awesome because I, yesterday I just watched an old program maybe from the early 2000s and they actually showed the statistics of how much Te Reo native speakers or speakers had dropped from the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. So we're in a time of um, real revitalization and, well, kāreko atu, kāreko mai, no better, nothing better than that. Love it. 
What, what do you think the um, for Kiwis that you know not potentially intimidated by it, but want to engage with it? What do you think the, one of the best ways Kiwis can sort of start to to, to learn to do or, or try and engage with it in its simplest form if they haven't done much uh, in the space before? Well, firstly, just learn how to say kia ora, hello, uh, yeah. tēnā koe, tēnā korua, tēnā koutou, uh, mōrena, atamārie, pōmārie, whatever it may be, just, you know, these, I always tell my students the most little, tiniest triumph is still a triumph, okay? And yes, I know exactly what people mean about being intimidated, you know. Um, sometimes you walk into a classroom or you're in a group of other real speakers and some of them, you know, are either fluent or really, really, got really, really good real. And sometimes our group that's still learning the language, you know, tend to get frightened a bit, a bit get a bit nervous of, you know, practicing in front of other people who may be on, you know, a bit more fluent, a bit more developed than they are. So my tip to everyone is it's all right to make a mistake. Um, you know, there's plenty of programs throughout the country that you could sign up to learn, but, you know, even just learning a word a day or word a week, it's still something. So, ha, ha, kota iti tarahi, o tohau, whakapaukaha, ki tākoi te o tātou reo Māori, kei ākoe te tikanga, and kāreko atu, kāreko mai. So, just letting you all know, there's nothing better than learning just maybe one word, the smallest thing in te reo, and you're making a contribution to those statistics. And I think a big part with that, as well, Karepe, is, you know, the intent. What is your intent? Yes, you're going to stuff up. Yes, you're not perfect. I mean, I definitely am that m- myself. But if, if the intent is there, it gives you a lot more uh, leeway. So before we um, go, uh, one more thing I kind of want to ask you. Who do you think the greatest New Zealander of all time is that is Māori? We're doing the we're doing the Kiwi, the, the, the TFM okay, greatest yeah, 100 Kiwis. Who's your number one? <laughs> for me, especially from coming uh, coming from uh, Ruatoria at the East Coast, uh, um, no one better than Sir Apirangata in his day and today, you know, about, uh, I think he died in the 1940s, late 1940s or early 50s. Um, his influence is still around us today, about, what, 80, 70 years later. So no one better than Apirangata, Apirana Turupa Ngata. There you go. Hey, really appreciate you joining us, uh, Karepa McDonald from Culture Fo. Thanks so much, man. I'll be catching up with you soon. Oh, I... All right, that's today our time for this week. If you've got any feedback or suggestions, text me along on 3920 or you can ring through 0800 Today FM. After the break, it's Learn, Share, Repeat with fellow Today FM host Wilhelmina Shrimpton. See you in a sec, team. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Back in action, Rebet Live episode 306, Today FM. This is Learn, Share, Repeat time, and we're very lucky to have a uh, friend and co-weapon co- on this on the station, ladies and gentlemen, Wilhelmina Shrimpton. How are you? 
I'm good. Oh my gosh, I've never been called co-weapon before and I kind of love that title. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to tell Lloyd co- to start calling me co-weapon instead of co-host. <laughs> Absolutely not. Co-weapon. Co-weapon. That's that's how we're rolling. Uh, how is the day bubbling away for you? you? You staying out of mischief or you're about to get into mischief? What what part of the equation are you on? Um, I'm probably in, in the middle. I mean, it's, everyone is, you know, not able to do much. So I'm doing the family thing today. So, you know, being good and then back to it tomorrow. So hopefully, you know, hit the restaurant because we're in orange light. So exciting. Let's go. Okay, the section of Learn, Share, Repeat is pretty simple. What we try to delve into is um, what what content are you consuming and how are you learning? What, are, what podcasts are you listening to? What books? Where are you consuming? What are you doing? So for yourself, Wills, uh, in this last little bit, what have you been consuming the most? Where are you beginning your intel and what are you most – what rabbit holes have you been going down in terms of educational books or anything? What are you doing? <laughs> Well, obviously, working in news, um, I'm learning literally every minute, every single day when new information comes in and we get updates. And um, the great thing um, about my role is I've got this awesome investigative podcast. And honestly, I have learned so much from doing each episode. And we're trying to do things that are sort of newsy and um, topical, but also some kind of weird left field topics. So we've done the metaverse and NFTs, which I literally knew zero about <laughs> and I feel like I'm still not sure if I actually get it yet but I feel like I definitely know a lot more than what um, I did before. Um, we did a piece on volcanoes and I used to love um, geography and geology when I was at um, at high school and so it was nice to tap back into that topic and sort of learn the ins and outs of that. Um, a podcast that is great as well because I'm obviously such a news fan that I just love daily news and daily turnaround. Um, is actually one that was recommended to me by our lovely boss, Dallas Gurney. Um, it's The Daily by The New York Times' uh, Michael Barbaro. And basically every day he just gets an expert in to have a yarn for 20 minutes. Um, it's in and out, short and sweet, but it delves just a little bit deeper. And I love sort of scratching just below the surface. So not just the headlines, but even more information. So I love, I love that. Um, that's really cool. And another thing that I'm actually obsessed with is on Netflix, there's this great series called Explained, um, and it's done by the guys at Vox, and yep, they kind of yep. do the same thing. It's these, like, I'm, I'm guessing you've, you've watched it? Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm going to keep going into it, and then we can yeah, delve, but it's, go on. Oh, I just, I just love it. And again, it's like really weird, less field topics like diamonds or um, athleisure or what is it that we like to call it, activewear, or billionaires, cults. Um, they did a whole series about the mind. And so there was one on memory, I think, and um, um, another one on um, information gathering. And um, they also did a series on sex as well, which was obviously a topic that everyone can, everyone can relate to. Um, they did sort of a five-parter on it. It's just really cool, um, random little topics that are not necessarily time-locked, but um, interesting things that you can delve deeper into and find little tidbits of information. I think water supply was another one, which I had no idea that, you know, the global water supply was so limited. Um, so it was so interesting to learn that and actually go, well, maybe it's time for me to conserve even more water than I had before. Yeah. Now, you, you've, you're going wide. So one of the biggest things that it feels like is in, instead of just a mood of consumption, obviously with the, the, day, the day-to-day job too, you're in creation mode. So you're constantly exploring and getting curious. And obviously, you, you know, you're creating a bunch of content to yourself. So do you like learn as you're exploring? So the curious nature of 
wherever you dig into, that's how, how you almost, you know, go down these little rabbit holes and niche? Absolutely. And like, that's the thing, I guess, being a journalist, you're just naturally curious. The whole thing is finding out more information, asking questions, asking the questions that perhaps other people wouldn't come up with. Um, and yeah, like you say, I think the rabbit hole is the best way to describe it. Um, you know, when you're doing research for particular topics and I kind of dive online and you click on one link and that leads you to another and it leads you to another and leads you to another. And even interviewing people as well, just through conversation, um, soaking up everything like a little sponge. And um, the thing I just love about interviewing people is, you know, you ask a question and they actually come back with something that you had no idea about and you can kind of press them more on that and find more information out. And sometimes that leads to another rabbit hole um, or a connection that they might have who can kind of embellish on that point. Um, it's just so fun. And I, I just feel like my, my brain is constantly soaking up um, every little tidbit. Um, I do kind of get sort of tunnel vision sometimes. And I know I say I, I love news and I'm obviously all for, for the daily news cycle. But if I'm on one topic sometimes one day, I will dive under. I will not come up for air. And then kind of I come up for air to, to do a sort of news reading hat. And I'm like, what's going on today? Because all I know is volcanoes or vaping or NFTs. <laughs> yep. it's kind of it's trying to um, make sure that my brain can kind of tap into to every category across the day. It seems that you're obviously constantly curious across all these different bubbles. But one of the, I'm probably similar to in, in many respects, but one of the things I'm not sure if you've probably delved into as well is when you go ran down these random little rabbit holes, you find threads of kernels which are actually relevant into different total ecosystem or industries or platforms or whatever else as well. And so, you know, down this, um, I was interested down the NFT rabbit hole. Did you end up finding the little side rabbit hole to that rabbit hole around NFTs around uh, many people are using it for tax? avoidance have you have you dug into really? that little rabbit hole yep so i didn't actually stumble across the little rabbit hole of tax avoidance but that's super interesting and one that i might have to steal from you to add into the episode um but what we did stumble across is standover tactics which you know you think with digital and it's been online that it's actually not a physical thing i know that the metaverse is sort of uh, an avatar that takes your physical form online or is a form of the of the metaverse um, but actual physical standover tactics. So we talked to this tech expert, uh, Paul Spain from Guerrilla Tech, and he was telling us there's literally iron bar tactics where people turn up to your house, use standover tactics to basically demand your crypto off you. Or in another case, um, there was actually a case of an Auckland couple as well who had, um, I think, a whole bunch of cash stolen from their um, safe when... Um, there was a contractors working on their house. They broke into the safe. They stole cash, but they also stole all these USB sticks, USB sticks containing cryptocurrency, NFTs, and I think it was worth something ridiculous, like a couple of million dollars. So it was so interesting to to hear about the flow on into the physical world from the value of NFTs. I guess like anything with value, people covet it and people want to steal it. Yep, and the the one of the ones I'm not sure if when you've been digging into that too is how this big macro battle versus decentralized versus centralized ecosystems in terms of content and and commerce as well, which is probably going to be one of the the biggest wars that get battled in, on online in the next um in the next wee, wee while. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I found so interesting is when you think of the term metaverse, you think of it like a, a big a big universe. It's all one, um, but actually. Um, 
the best way it was described to me is it was a bunch of meta worlds. So different companies like Facebook or Meta have, have established their own metaverse. And I think eventually you'll be able to jump in between them. But it's actually not one big universe um, ruled by one company or one particular person. So that was so funny because you think of yeah, metaverse, universe, it's one big one big place. But actually there's so many different things. Honestly, I... <laughs> I remember my um, my producer was super excited about the topic and I was so overwhelmed and intimidated by it because I'm not a tech whiz. <laughs> um, but I found it so interesting um, diving down and I spent hours trawling the internet, um, reading interviews and reading articles and um, little pieces of advice and how to buy an NFT, how to sell an NFT, um, what on earth is minting. Um, so interesting. So you've got the podcast, The Daily, which is a 20-minute recap. You've got Netflix uh, Explained series. And then obviously you got to do the plug for your own podcast, Digging It Down. What is that? Where can I get it? And, and, and what's what's up next? I love that you've done this. So um, it's a similar concept, so sort of delving a lot deeper. The podcast is called The Core, and the whole idea is cutting to the core of topical issues facing Kiwis every day, whether that's interesting, um, something that they're curious about, or something that's um, a bit deeper, um, issues that concern them among the community. So we've done stuff on vaping and, and street safety. And unlike most podcasts, we, we, we go so deep. We interview anywhere from six to 10 people per episode. I'm trying to cover all angles, all opinions, so you get a full comprehensive rundown of whatever it is um, we're doing. Plus, it's all mixed in together with some pretty epic sound effects, um, the music, um, beautiful news upsets, making it really engaging and immersive for people. Um, they can find that on the Today FM website. Hop over to the podcast, click the podcast link, scroll on down to the core, or search the core with Wilhelmina Shrimpton wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, or the like. Let's go. And what, maybe one, I've got a question which I think might be intriguing down a new potential rabbit hole, and it's a question that's been on my mind for years that has not fully yeah. been answered yet. That question is, does New Zealand have a unity of purpose? Oh, that's tough. And I'll make know. it even trickier. <laughs> is there a unity of purpose for New Zealand? But also trickier is, um, if and the, the the segue to it is, if the Treaty of Waitangi brought together culture and community, what has been the moment since that culture, community, and commerce has had an intersection? And then to make it even more deeper, what is the <laughs> if that was where New Zealand started? What is the new North Star for the new New Zealand? Haven't been able to crack it, but if there's someone that could do some digging, I think you might be the lady to do it. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. I think to give you a really basic answer i think the unity of purpose thing i think the overarching you know kiwi dream we all want to flourish and be happy um in our lives but i think everyone's definition of that is completely different um so everyone has different goals and i don't know if that's completely aligned but the overarching um idea of you know being successful having a house being able to grow up um healthy um with an education i think everyone um at least wants part of that but the way that they get there and how they get there, I, I don't know if that's aligned. But it's good that the overarching um, goal is, is a positive one, I think. 
100%. Really appreciate your time. And before we go, I need to um, give you a, a, an extra props and thanks because when I got offered with this opportunity for Rebecca Live, you were literally one of the first person that I called and reached out to to give me some tips. And you you helped me what a sting. I wrote down a bunch of notes. So I just want to publicly acknowledge and thank you for your, your friendship and your help. So I knew now I found out what a sting was and a music bed and the ins and outs and a time check. I've learned all these new words. So I really appreciate that. So I just want to take the moment to say thanks. Bless you, and you're doing an amazing job. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I remember that conversation so vividly, and you were like, what's a time check? You <laughs> know it now, and you're, <laughs> and you're absolutely nailing it. Um, so happy to be on the same team. Love it. Hey, much love, and enjoy the rest of the weekend. Thanks so much for rocking in. This has been Learn, Share, Repeat with Will Helmina Shrimpton. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. Alrighty, hour one is almost done and dusted for Rebet Live. Episode 306 on Today FM. Hope you're learning some stuff. I am. Lots of smart people telling us some good stuff. Uh, in the next hour, Ashley Church will be joining us talking about the Reserve Bank and the OCR going up by 0.5 points to 1.5%. What does that mean? We will tell you. Paul Conaway will be joining us as well, the incoming uh, Chief Economist for the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. CEO of Spirit of, of Adventure, Bruce Pilbrow, Uncle Bruce, banter with Bruce, one of the smartest minds and good humans that, that we have uh, in my circle and great to have him on the show as well. And also... 11-year-old future business weapon for New Zealand, Lila McDonald. She's the youngest person ever who's going to be joining us on the show so far. Very excited to have her. So stick around and we'll be seeing you soon. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebet Live. Call 0800 Today FM. All right, coming up in half an hour, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the top 100 greatest Kiwis. Who will it be? We shall find out in half an hour. But first, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has stepped up the official cash rate by half a percentage point to 1.5%. Uh, and there's no one better than I thought we would try and get on the show than someone who knows a lot about this, who's got opinions left and right and politics and sky and blue and whatever, than the one and only Ashley Church, friend of the show. How are you, mate? G'day, Robert. I'm good, mate. Very good to hear your voice from so far oh. away. I know you feel so close. Uh, so, for those that aren't aware, let's just let's re- let's go macro for a second. What is the OCR official cash rate, and why should the average Kiwi care? The OCR, the official cash rate, is a mechanism used by the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, uh, effectively to control inflation. So, the Reserve Bank's independent from the government. It was it was. Uh, uh, by statute, which was established in 1990, which basically says that it can do things without deference back to the government. And on broad terms, that's that's generally true. And um, incidentally, it's worth noting that, that as a result of that act, uh, a whole range of other governments around the world did the same thing with their reserve banks. So, so New Zealand was a bit of a trendsetter and a leader. Um, but the purpose of the OCR is essentially to control inflation. And how it does that is, is the reserve bank surmises quite correctly that uh, when inflation's high, that the best way to squeeze inflation out of the economy is to increase interest rates. And they use the OCR to do that because the banks are led by 
the OCR to some degree in terms of what they charge for mortgage uh, for mortgage interest. Um, and so they, they surmise that if you increase the OCR and therefore mortgage interest, people have got less money to spend on other things and that reduces the impact of inflation over time. Conversely, when you're worried about your economy going into free fall, then one of the ways that you can address that is you can reduce your OCR, therefore giving banks the opportunity to reduce mortgage interest rates and that puts more money into supply and people can spend more and that pushes um, economic activity up. Right now, uh, we've got uh, inflation running at somewhere close to to uh, about 6%. Um, and there's every indication that that inflation rate's going to continue. And some of that's due to things that are going on within the New Zealand economy and some of it's due to things that are going on offshore. Um, but in order to deal with that and quickly, the Reserve Bank is increasing the OCR in order to influence the uh, mortgage interest rates that banks are charging in order to hopefully squeeze inflation out of the economy. So that's how it affects the average punter, Robert. Well, great summations. Basically, the Reserve Bank puts the OCR up. That means interest base rates basically go up a little and they're to try and handbrake inflation a little so the, the world doesn't go too crazy. Totally makes sense. So it's gone up by yeah, half yeah. a point to now 1.5%. So for the average Kiwi... Billy Bob the plumber from Gore, did, will this have a significant impact on the average Kiwi? It'll have the, it, 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 a significant impact primarily on anybody who's got a mortgage, and that's uh, that's a fairly large chunk of the country. It's, uh, I mean, about uh, 65% of New Zealanders own their own homes, so extrapolate out from that, that that a lot of people will be affected by this. It will have varying degrees of impact depending on whether people have got what's called a fixed-rate mortgage or a floating mortgage. So a floating mortgage is a mortgage where the interest rate can go up and down depending on what's happening within the bank itself or what's happening within the broader economy. A fixed rate mortgage is a mortgage where uh, you agree with the bank at the outset of the fixing of that term that the mortgage interest rate will stay the same for a period of time. And that's usually six months, a year, two years, three years, or in some unusual cases, five years. Um, so if you're on a fixed rate mortgage, and that's for a reasonably long period of time, you won't be affected by this until such a time as you come off that fixed rate. Um, and for some people, that could be three years. So it means it'll make virtually no impact on them at all. They'll get whatever great rate they got prior to these rates starting to go up. But if you're on a floating rate or you've got a, a, a mortgage interest rate that's coming up for review, then this will impact you quite quickly, depending on how quickly that review is due. Um, and in some cases, it could be quite a painful hit based on what people have been paying over the last few years when we've had these extraordinarily benign interest rates, which have been so low. So in 2022, I've saved up for my first house. I'm getting very excited. We go with wifey and we've, we've saved up our pennies. Should we be getting floating or fixed mortgages in 2022 after this announcement from the Reserve Bank? So let me caveat what I'm about to say by saying that I make predictions <laughs> each year on what's going to happen with various different things in the property economy. And one of the things I've in the past I've, I've, I've had opinions on or made predictions on is interest rates. And I'm, uh, for, for quite some period of time, I was invariably wrong. <laughs> so so you, would, you would be a little bit cautious about taking my advice. In fact, you might actually say, listen to what I say and then do the opposite. However, <laughs> with that caveat, um, I think in general terms, it's probably reasonable to say that right now you'd fix. Um, and the reason I say that is because the Reserve Bank 
itself has said that they're going to continue increasing the OCR until uh, 2024. And they think that by 2024, uh, that they will have got inflation under control and that, and that it will start coming down again. And at that stage, they can stop putting the OCR up and even potentially start to bring it down again. So if you do the math on that, that's about two years away. You would probably be tr- looking, if you were fixing your rate right now, at fixing for around about two years on the assumption that whatever rate you get today is going to be better than what it'll be in a year and two years' time. So I think that's probably a reasonable guess. Now, the only thing that could change that, Robert, is if, uh, and I don't see this happening, but if for some reason inflation suddenly reverses and starts going down really rapidly, or if the Reserve Bank gets this thing under control much more quickly than they thought they were going to, um, then it may well be that rates come down more quickly than, than, than all of the pundits are assuming that they will. But I think that's an outside chance. It's much more likely that they'll keep going up for another couple of years. So going up to 1.5, do you think like Kiwis that have got secured mortgages right now on a variable interest rate, do you think there's a chance that some of them, you know, might with these rates fluctuating, might be kind of unable to now afford their kind of mortgages and stuff? Do you think this is going to, will it have that much of an impact where some people are potentially going to have to forego their homes, you think? Oh, no, it really depends. The bank, by the way, I should stress too that that uh, 1.5 that you're talking about is the OCR. It's not the mortgage interest rate. The mortgage interest rates are at least a couple of percent higher than that. So the OCR is what they call the wholesale rate. It's the rate that the Reserve Bank sets, but the banks have to make a profit as well and they have to run their businesses. So so the, so the you, you need to add to the OCR at least a couple of percent and sometimes a little bit more to get an indication of what the retail rates are going to be. In terms of um, who, who is likely to be impacted by this, the banks for the last few years have been running something called a stress test, um, or as I used to refer to it, a fudge factor. And that was that when they assessed you for a mortgage, if it was a new mortgage, they actually assessed that mortgage on the basis of assuming that the mortgage interest rate was about 7%, or in some cases 6.5, rather than the 2 or 3% that people were actually paying. Now, to be fair to them, they actually got a lot of criticism for that at the time, with people saying that they, they were assessing people far too high based on what mortgage interest rates were actually running at. But uh, given what's likely to happen over the next couple of years, perhaps they were right, because the impact of that meant that when they've assessed those mortgage applications and, and where they've approved mortgages, it's been on the basis that people could afford to pay a mortgage at a much higher interest rate than they were actually paying. Um, so if that was correct, and provided people's circumstances haven't changed too much since they, they took those mortgages out, um, then in theory, they should be able to survive that, not necessarily comfortably, um, but they should be able to get through it. And the other thing that's important to remember is that, in, again, in theory, because there's no promises around this stuff, but in theory, uh, once inflation's under control, the Reserve Bank will start looking at lowering interest rates again. Um, so at some point over the next four or five years, uh, interest rates will not only reach a peak, but you would expect them to start coming down again. So the, the, the reason I mention that is because it means that whatever happens will only be for a period of time. Got yeah. So if you just join us now, we're on with Ashley Church, uh, Kiwi property and political expert or commentator. I'd I'd say uh, we're talking about the uh, Reserve Bank um, bumping up the official cash rate by half a percentage point to one point five percent. So um, we've been talking about a ho- housing a lot in this last little bit. At the moment in New Zealand, do you think we're in a bit of a slump? How do you think we're actually kind of doing at a macro? in terms of the housing market. Yeah, so I'm probably alone in my view, Robert, in that <laughs> if you read most of the commentary at the moment and look at what the banks are predicting, the banks are predicting anything between 5 and 10% um, drop in house prices 
um, and and indicating that this has come about uh, that, that this is un, that, that is an unusual set of circumstances as a result of some of the events over the last two or three months. I actually take a longer view. I, I take a longer game view on this stuff. My view is that uh, that the events at the moment um, are consistent with what I refer to as the property cycle. And you and I have talked about that in the past. It's this idea that every 10 or 11 years, the property market broadly doubles in value and that that's been going on for the last four decades. Um, and if and prior to the last two or three months, if you'd been looking at that cycle uh, and, and asking me what I thought, I would have been saying to you that the Auckland market's more or less back into its boom period, and that started about a year ago, and that the regional markets should be starting to taper off because the regional markets are always about three years behind Auckland. So that meant that the, the regional, by regional markets, I mean pretty much anywhere outside Auckland should have been starting to flatten off. So if we look at what's happening at the market at the moment, the regional markets are flattening off, which is, which is in my view, exactly what you would expect, um, and that that will uh, continue for, for another two or three years. Um, and that the Auckland markets, and, and a bit like a possum in headlights at the moment, so at a period where, in my view, you would expect the Auckland market to be continuing to go up, it's actually sitting flat. And, there, and, and in my view, there's two reasons for that. One of them is the imposition of something called the CCCFA, Credit Finance Act, or some changes to that act, which came about over Christmas. Um, which went far too far in, in respect of the changes that they made and the impact of which was that they pretty much stalled the, the mortgage lending market for about three months, uh, particularly first-time buyers. And so the government's now realised that, the minister's made some changes and those changes are already starting to feed back into the system and I would expect then that you get back to normal levels within a couple of months. The other impact is the OCR, which we've just talked about. And that's this is the thing that Kiwis do. New legislation comes in, we all panic, the sky's falling, chicken little, um, <laughs> and we worry that, that, the, that the world's going to end. And then what happens is it doesn't end, and we realise it doesn't end, and we get back to some sort of level of normality. So we've been through the chicken little stage over the last two or three months. We've all panicked and thought, oh, my God, something, you know, that I'm going to lose my house or, or whatever. Um, we're now realising it's not quite as bad as we thought it was going to be. It's going to be a bit more staged. And my estimation is that the market will return to some degree of mortality, not, not mortality, normality over the next couple of months. Now, if I'm right, and that's a big if, uh, then the Auckland market will return to some growth. It won't be significant growth. It won't be the you know the thirty percent over eighteen months that we've had over the last year or two. But it might be four or five percent growth in that market um, going forward. And I'm picking that that will uh, kick in again sometime toward the end of this year. Now I stress, I'm pretty much a lone voice on that. There's nobody else saying that. Everybody else is saying that the market will uh, will decline. So it's really a question of which of those positions you believe to be true. Does the market follow cycles? Or, uh, or is, or is this a, a unique set of circumstances that we've never had before, and therefore the market's going to do different things? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a good bet to be placing. I mean, if you think of, you know, forty <laughs> years has been rolling, but this last two years has definitely been different in terms of the economy and how um, dollars have flowed, and the world has definitely changed. And you say, you know, if this happens, you know, if you've got to be a radical optimist, Ashley, you need to say when this happens, then I think with the current data, I think that it's going to go up and crank. Um, but no, good insights there. You know, like uh, a lot of uh, average Kiwis don't understand how the flow-on effect of you know OCR goes up, affects the interest rates. Try to you know put a hickey to handle on inflation and it, at the end of the day it's affecting you know there's extra you know 20 50 100 bucks a week whatever it is if you're on these variable um, mortgages and bits and pieces too and the rest of it Absolutely. so really appreciate your time my friend uh we'll be catching up for a beer or wine or whatever you'd like to have uh sooner rather than later and i uh, appreciate jumping on the show legend thanks Ruby. talk to you soon mate Ta -da. champ that was ashley church new zealand property commentator political uh 
I also say political commentator. I think he's got some very interesting views all over it with New Zealand. It's always good to to learn a lot from people who are smarter than yourself. Uh, coming up after the break on Today FM, I'm chatting with uh, Lila McDonald, our youngest ever guest on the show. Very excited about that. In less than about 15 minutes, we'll also be revealing the next greatest Kiwi of all time. Uh, and we're going to have some chance to win some cold hard cash and some quality paint thanks to Razine. You're on Today FM, Rebet Live, episode 306. See you in a second. Mentor. Sherpa. Counselor. Nah, just a clever guy doing cool shit. It's Rebet Live. On Today FM. Welcome back, Rebecca Live, episode 306 on Today FM. Hope your Saturday is going awesome and well. And we have Tall Poppy Profile. What we do each week is we profile a cool Kiwi business doing great things. And I'm very fortunate enough to have our youngest ever guest to join the show so far, which is super cool. I'm joined by Lilo McDonald, the CEO, co-founder, director, chief strategist, chief marketing officer, everything for the company that is Water Us NZ. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Amazingly good. So, uh, you started a company called Water Us. You've, uh, it says here, she founded Water Us as a social enterprise, donating at least 50% of our profits to the Public Water Foundation to buy drinking fountains and bottle refill stations for our community parks, playgrounds, and spaces. So, let's start with this. How old are you and where do you live? Um, I'm 11 years old, turning 12 in June, and I live um, in... Auckland on the North Shore in Takapuna. Very cool. Now, what is so? What is Water Us? What is the company? What are you selling? So, Water Us is um, a social enterprise that sells environmentally friendly toilet paper. Um, where you know, as you said, fifty percent of the profits go to um, my charity. So, yeah, it basically sells like this really cool um, environmentally friendly bamboo toilet paper that um, comes wrapped in paper as well so it's more environmentally friendly because it's not plastic. So So you're 11 years old, you've got a website, you've started a company. How did the business start? What made you want to decide to start a business at 11 years old in Aotearoa? Um, Well, I started um, my charity first and the reason I wanted to do that was, um, well, a few years ago, I went overseas with my family and I saw this like big block of drinking fountains and I saw this lady filling up um, big plastic bottles from the drinking fountains and I thought, you know, like that's a really cool idea because otherwise those plastic bottles would have gone into like the landfill or the ocean and I think that's a really cool way to reuse them. And um, so it kind of got me thinking because I've always been very passionate about the environment. So when I saw that, it kind of um, got me interested and I started thinking more about drinking fountains. And when I got back to New Zealand from that holiday, um, I did some research and found out that Auckland and the whole of New Zealand are very behind on the uh, the amount of drinking fountains that we have. Um, So I started the Public Water Foundation and um, to campaign to get more drinking fountains in. And um, it was was going pretty well. And then around the end of 2020, when when after COVID happened, um, we realized that because our original plan was to ask 
um, businesses and companies to sponsor Drinking Fountain. And we realized at the end of 2020 that that wasn't really going to work anymore because um, obviously businesses were losing a lot of money. So that's when um, I decided to start Water Us as a way of continuing to raise money. So who helped you set this company up? How did you set a company up at 11 years old? What what did you do and how did you do it? Um, so my mom helps me a lot and, uh, well, my dad too. Um, she, my mom's uh, like had quite a few of her own businesses in the past, so she's very good at this stuff. So, yeah, she's my partner. <laughs> you've got you've got some help on it. Definitely makes sense. And what's the what's the hardest thing that you've found about trying to launch launch a company so far? What's 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 the biggest challenge that you've you're currently facing? Uh, the costs of shipping going up so much because. That might not be so much of a problem, obviously, if it weren't for COVID, but um, obviously shipping costs are going up quite a lot, and um, it's just been a little bit tricky to um, keep being able to afford it, so I'd say that's probably one of the biggest challenges. I get it. It makes sense. And how do you fit? I mean, you're you're 11 years old. You're running a company, Water Us. You're doing all the stuff, and you've got schoolwork. You got homework. You probably got sports clubs and teams. How are you fitting all of this in with your school? How are you balancing running a company at 11 years old and still having to do your school and your homework and your home chores and everything else? Um. Well, uh, to be honest, as I said, like my mom's a huge help, so we. I'm, as she says, I'm quite good at delegating the work, but um, <laughs> my <laughs> my school is very supportive of um, what I'm doing. So I do miss some school um, for what I ask, but they don't mind and they're very supportive and helpful. So that's yeah. So let's fast forward uh, ten years. You're now 21 years old. Water us is what where where do you see the business and where do you see yourself in ten years? So twenty thirty two, where are you? Um to be honest, right now I'm kind of just focusing on now, but uh if I look forward ten years, I don't know, I think I definitely intend to try and keep this going if it works out and I don't know, I may um, add in other products to Water Us um, to sell apart from toilet paper or I may have passed it on to somebody else. But I know I, I intend to keep this going for quite a while, so I guess we'll see. There you go. Look, you're already playing the long game there, Lila. It's great. You're thinking of the future, how it's going to expand. You're thinking of different products that you can add into the mix. So if you listen to this right now or someone's listening they're like, this chick's 11 years old and she started a company. What would Lila McDonald's number one tip be for other 11-year-olds or people at high school or even potentially people older that, that want to start their business? What advice would you give them? Um, I would say uh, if you want something to happen, don't wait around for somebody else to do it. Just, just do it yourself. And if you have like a passion... Um, I would say like pursue it and do what you can and just believe in yourself if you want to create change. Let's go. That is the p- most perfect, amazing way to end an interview, Lila McDonald. Is this your first one of your first interviews you've ever done on, on, on the radio? 
Um, no, it's my second, I think, yeah. Well, I'm very proud to be in your top three, so really appreciate your time. Best <laughs> of luck. If people want to check it out, it's waterus.nz. Thanks so much for your time today, Lila. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Oh, you too. Thank you so much for having me. Team, just like that. What an absolute weapon joined the show. Uh, amazing to see the future of New Zealand looking so bright with such good good brains, with p- passionate about the environment and products and all sorts of bits and pieces. And I love how she's delegating quite well to her mother. <laughs> Super well done. All right, team, uh, coming up next is our greatest Kiwi of all time announcement. Who will it be? We shall find out. Uh, plus, we'll catch up with Uncle Bruce and banter with Bruce. Why New Zealand's probably most heartfelt leading CEOs and one of a good friend of mine for his nugget of the wisdom of the week. You're on Today FM. Rebet Live. Live from Silicon Valley. The hub of the tech universe. With tips on unleashing your entrepreneurial potential. On Today FM. Coming up next, we have uh, the incoming Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank, Paul Conway. But first, it's time for the greatest Kiwi of all time, and it is number 41. Let's go. Number 41, William Hobson. Captain William Hobson arrived from Sydney at Waitangi on board the HMS Herald on the 29th of January 1840. Within six days, he would draft a contract between the Crown and Indigenous Māori, making Aotearoa New Zealand a British colony. It would be called the Treaty of Waitangi. And the Treaty, Te Tiriti o Waitangi, began its long journey around New Zealand and through history to become our nation's founding document. Hobson, an Irishman, had been to New Zealand before. He had been the governor of New South Wales and arrived in Aotearoa in response to a request from James Busby, a British resident who'd felt threatened by warring Māori tribes. When Hobson returned to Britain, he proposed New Zealand become a British colony. He was dispatched in 1839 to make it so. Hobson signed on behalf of Queen Victoria. was the first of 40 chiefs to sign Te Tiriti, and as each one signed, Hobson said, He iwi tahi tahu, meaning, we are now one people. He iwi tahi tato. How do you do, Mr. Governor? <laughs> How do you do? How do you do? Meanwhile, in what would become Wellington, settlers were forming their own republic called the United Tribes of New Zealand. Despite the signing of the treaty not yet being complete, Hobson sent soldiers to claim territorial authority over Port Nicholson. In July 1840, the French arrived at Banks Peninsula. Hobson sent two magistrates to Akurua to make claims there too. Hobson would later travel to Wellington and Akurua to hear complaints from the locals and settle their concerns. On the 3rd of May, 1841, Hobson was sworn in as the first governor of New Zealand. Before this time, we had come under the control of the colony of New South Wales. A new country had been born. Hobson would determine Auckland was the best place to have the capital of the new nation. He had some difficulty with local Māori in Tamaki Makaurau and was ridiculed by journalists at the time. He responded by shutting down the New Zealand Herald and Auckland Gazette. I was used to having my orders obeyed without question and to the letter. 
That was not the case here in Auckland. I was bullied and lobbied by everyone. I was short of troops and money. The constant bickering took its toll on my health. He would suffer a stroke and die on the 10th of September 1842 and is buried in Auckland's Simon Street Cemetery. While only a player for a short time in colonial New Zealand, as co-author of the Treaty of Waitangi, Hobson left an indelible mark on our history. William Hobson, a captain and witness to the birth of a nation, and one of Today FM's greatest Kiwis of all time. There you go, number 41, William Hobson. All right, it's giveaway time. Team, we've got some stuff to give away from you. The first caller or a texter will win a $100 resine voucher and 100 bucks cash, straight cash money. Uh, this is the question. And basically, as soon as I say this question, you text it through. Text it through to 3920 or go through to 0800 Today FM. The question is, for a $100 resine voucher and $100 cash, what was the name of the ship that brought William Hobson to New Zealand? Go. First one through gets it. Uh, and also uh, number 40 coming up, it will be at 4.30 with the bro mark period, which is super cool. This is Rebet Live, episode 306 on Today FM. Rebet Live on Today FM. All right, money, money, money. Another day, another week of a day for us to, on Rebet Live to be talking to the incoming Chief Economist for the Reserve Bank, Mr. Paul Conway. Welcome to the show, my friend. Kia ora, ihoa. Thanks for having me. You've had your uh, your healthy morning smoothie. You're ready to run for the day. How has how it all been rolling so far? How's the body feeling and how's the mindset with only, what, three more weeks and you're about to take on a, a big big new role? How are you feeling? Yeah, two more weeks. Um, I'm, I'm feeling good, thanks. It's a lovely Easter weekend uh, here in the capital. Uh, you know, I bet I'm between jobs, which is always a nice uh, sort of chill period. And, you know, as you say, I've really been sort of working on restoration of, of body and mind. Uh, between jobs by choice, because most some, some people, if they're not good at their jobs, they uh, get, uh, you know, between jobs by, uh, by uh, because usually they're not good at their jobs. But obviously, you're good at your job, yeah. so you've, you've got a, a big new one coming Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I don't qualify as being unemployed. And I, I fully... You know, I'm in a, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a nice time for me now because I'm going to such a cool job that I'm so into. And I fully appreciate that's not everybody's circumstance. So I want to go um, for a little bit. Obviously, we maybe touch on a quick little bit. Uh, also, with these sections that we always need to be, be a little bit careful of is because you hold a position of uh, influence with things, any opinion that you say, I'll do a quick disclaimer here for you, Paul. Uh, any personal opinion that is potentially said by Paul Conway is only those uh, potential thoughts of his and not any uh, organisation that potentially he represents. I feel like we kind of covered that well enough. Basically, it's his opinion about stuff. So we won't get into it too, uh, too deep because obviously you've got um, you're in between jobs right now, a couple more weeks. But obviously the um, OCR going up by 50 basis points. Any quick top line um, thoughts or insights that you, you wanted to quickly touch on? Uh, around that, well, uh, first of all, yeah, the Reserve Bank put the uh, OCR up uh, half a percent last week. So OCR equals official cash rate. Uh, so that's the interest rate that commercial banks, uh, BNZ, ANZ, Westpac, all the rest of them have to pay the Reserve Bank uh, for their money or the interest rate that the Reserve Bank pays them. So, you know, the Reserve Bank puts up that it sort of feeds into other like mortgage interest rates or interest rates on business loans. Uh, or the interest rate that people get on term deposit. So yeah, the Reserve Bank is uh, nudging that up, well, half a percent, that's quite a big uh, hike. 
um, just to take a bit of heat uh, out of the economy. So, you know, inflation is out of the box. So the Reserve Bank is uh, leaning uh, against that, you know, which is kind of what they do. Um, and as you said, Robert, I'm, you know, I'm just talking as myself, not as uh, anything <laughs> to do with the Reserve Bank. Uh, but it's absolutely consistent with what I what what I would have done, uh, you know, had I been in the shop this week. All right. Well, we can be um, digging you uh, around that in a couple more weeks. So you've had a bit of a reset. Now, obviously, you know, you're about to go into this um, sort of new gig and you talked about, you know, resetting the body and the mind for it. Uh, you went on a online meditation retreat. Is that right? Have you done it? Is this real? Like, tell me about this. I have never heard of it. I'm genuinely interested. What what are you doing, yeah. Paul? <laughs> Well, yeah, I've I've been doing well. First of all, I joined a gym. Like I listened to your interview with was it Tyrone? Uh, last yeah, he's a beast. Resonated. Yeah, uh, you know, for my middle-aged uh, male body. So I've been well, not exactly pumping iron, but I've definitely been moving some heavy things uh, this week, which has been cool. Um, but yeah, I've also been doing a uh, an online meditation retreat, which has been so interesting. Uh, I should, you know, I've been a reasonably consistent meditator for a couple of years now, so it's the second time I've actually done uh, this online retreat. And it's, um, you know, essentially it's some um, sort of west coast of the U.S. tech guys uh, have teamed up and got together with some. I don't know, deep uh, spiritual wisdom uh, coming out of India, out of an ashram there. Uh, and they've sort of produced it into a pretty compelling combination uh, that works. So plenty of uh, sort of one hour meditation sessions going on uh, for me this week as part of this online community. And, you know, after our chat last week, Robert, about all things digital for New Zealand, uh, you know, it really brought it home to me. It's amazing what we can get done uh, online these days. So, you know, we've been having genuine, meaningful connection across a big group of people that are scattered across the planet that I'll probably yeah. never meet in the real world. Uh, but, you know, thanks to the magic uh, of digital technologies, it's been way cool. I'm getting heaps of benefit out of it. So just for clarity, the online meditation is this? It's this isn't like a VR headset type thing, is it a Zoom call? Is it a headphones on with your eyes shut? Like, yeah, talk me like through the yeah, mechanics. Yeah. Huh. And, you know, we come together for different, we'll, we'll meditate together, uh, you know, um, and we'll come together to talk about, you know, meditation and sort of mental health and well-being, uh, et cetera, et cetera, as, 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 a, as a group. But it, it is a bit of a time commitment. Uh, but there's sort of a joke in the meditation community, you know, if you can't find the time to meditate for an hour a day, then you need to meditate for two hours a day. Um, you know, especially when you sort of combine it with uh, what was Tyrone saying, he was uh, into four one hour sessions at the gym a week. So that's quite a chunk of time. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's it's about investing uh, in well-being. And, you know, it really helps me, I don't know, sort of show up uh, in my work. Uh, and in my life, you know, it's not it's not like my brain turns off uh, during all of this yep. stuff. I often get really, you know, some of the best economic insights I get come out of a quiet mind. Um, but, you know, it really just helps me stay calm and focused. And uh, really a big thing for me over my work at BNZ, I really wanted to be authentic in my work. And I sort of uh, put a lot of effort into that. Um, and, you know, it's it's taken the stress out of it for me. I mm. don't have to pretend uh, to be someone I'm not. And meditation really helps with that. I can just turn up and be myself, uh, you know, and it, it just encourages more genuine connection uh, with people around me, people I'm working with. It's, it's awesome. I've got a random 
uh, I don't know if it's an HR question, but from your insights of corporate world coming up the food chain and, and smashing it, what percentage of corporate Kiwis don't, or just, I guess, work, hardworking Kiwis don't bring, do you think, don't bring their authentic selves to work? Like you said, you, you made a conscious decision for that. What percentage yeah. do you think don't? Oh, I couldn't put a number on it. I think the number's declining. Like I think, uh, you know, millennials and Gen X are pretty good or getting better uh, in this space. And I think my generation, you know, mid 50s, I'm probably a bit more there compared to the baby boomers. So, you know, it's an exciting uh, sort of trend. Um, And, and, you know, I I think we're in the midst of a bit of a transformation uh, in the space. You know, the work world is getting more genuine. Uh, and getting more about about people, you know, which is which is just fantastic. Long, long may that trend continue. I was on a uh, doing the judging for the High Tech Awards the other day, along with a couple of other uh, well-known Kimi female weapons, and I, I had another female friend of mine actually ask, uh, talk to me about you know having to put makeup on for Zoom calls, and then I asked I asked these ladies, I said, hey. Before you actually, before COVID and stuff, would you always, you know, wear makeup to meetings? They're like, oh yeah, hundred percent. I said, what do you think on that now? How do you present up? And they're like, we genuinely don't care. It's COVID has humanized us to the point where we're doing all of our just as important meetings with our um, our Lululemon pants on or whatever else as well, and our gym gym clothes. It's it's totally like humanized and just brought this this veil and shine of potential, you know, fake interaction or whatever. And and people are more authentically them in the business world, and and they felt felt actually kind of felt more empowered for it, which was I thought was actually quite an interesting insight. Yeah, good observation. I, th- I think, you know, the fact that people have been working at home or and Zoom meetings gives us a glimpse uh, into their personal lives. So it's sort of, you know, I love it when people's, you know, the dog barks or a kid walks through the, you know, the back of the, the camera shot. I think, I think it's awesome just bringing those uh, two worlds together. You know, it's sort of like, I don't know, the, the business world, the economy, we sort of We've traditionally, or at least some of us, or some people, have treated it as this existential thing that's kind of separate uh, to us. But it's it's not. You know, it's it's the economy. It's about or the business world. It's about how we interact with each other, how we treat each other. Um, so yeah, it's a reflection of us. And if we can bring our authentic selves to that, then that's going to be a more genuine uh, connection. And the economy is going to work better. It's going to do a better job of uh, serving the people, which is exactly what it should do. You know, maximise people's uh, well-being across the the most people possible. So I, I see this as all very positive. Rebecca, one of the many things to be getting excited about uh, currently in, in a fairly challenging uh, uh, world. Well, it's exciting to hear someone that's in such the, you know, the corporate financial business world having a pretty a good prioritization of the other things of you know spirit and the body and the mind and all the rest of it to be able to bring their you know bring the best selves to work and stuff so um very excited next two more weeks to go will we'll we next week we'll have an official day countdown until you kick off as the you know new chief economist of the reserve bank so enjoy the rest of your weekend really appreciate it and i'm um, absolute champion mate thanks for joining us paul cheers Thanks, Rebecca. Happy Easter, everybody. That was Paul Conway, incoming Chief Economist of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. After the break, it's Uncle Bruce. Banter with Bruce with his nugget of CEO wisdom for us all. And we'll be catching up with Mark Peer to see what's popping off on his show, talking all things sport. You're on Today FM, Rebecca Live, episode 306. His goal, to destroy the tall poppy syndrome. His platform, Today FM. This is Rebecca Live. Call 0800 Today FM. 
here we go. We're dreaming and we're dreaming and we're joined with Bantworth Bruce. Bruce Pilbrow, the CEO of Spirit of Adventure. Last week he was on a yacht, just yachting around the place, just living the high life. Where are you this week, my friend? Uh, I'm, I'm in the marina. So, so you're close to the water yachting, the whole time. Look, looking at yachts. Yeah, well, it's that's Auckland. It. That's what Auckland's about, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's uh, the city of sales. Yeah, amazing place. Amazing place. But like San Francisco. Yeah. Extremely similar. Uh, how was the week? How's it all been bubbling? And what is on your mind today, my friend? Been a, yeah, it's been another good week. Um, I feel like getting back into my flow again. I don't know how others are feeling, but just things are sort of loosening up a bit at New Zealand. So it just feels like we're starting to get back into our flow and um, of work and life and I guess some form of normality. Yeah, which mm. is cool. Yeah. Um, on my mind this week, I, I guess I just keep picking up from last week, trying to keep the theme going, and I'm going to go with Brene Brown again, but I will move from her, trust me. But <laughs> there's this whole thing of, <laughs> she's so good though, mate. There's this whole thing of, um, you know, you either stand in your truth, or you stand outside your truth and have hustle for your worthiness. Hmm. And I thought, I'm going to spin that to you, Rebecca, and see what you thought of that one. So you stand in your truth, or you stand outside your truth and hustle for your worthiness. Here's a good thing. What do you think of that? Well, it's my brain's trying to go to the depth. So I've got one where it's I'd um, rather deal with the consequences of the truth than the hurtfulness of the unknown. Like instead of like actually find out the answer of whatever the thing is and deal with the consequences of that, then or then have future regret for never knowing what happened. So you're saying staying your truth or hustle for the worthiness. So explain the for your worthiness. Yeah, unpack the um, worthiness piece. So what I was thinking was like this, um, how many times, and I've done this all myself, myself heaps of times, right, so I'm coming from judging myself here, right? So how many times do you rock up to someone and before you've sort of got through a sentence, you've already unpacked your CV, or you've told them where you live, or oh. you, tell them what, you tell them or hint at what sort of car you drive, or Positioning. You know, you're trying to put yourself up. Yeah, we all do it, right? And, and that's where you're outside hustling for your worthiness, because you're not comfortable just to stand in your truth that, hey, my name's Bruce. Hey, doing, bro? Nice to meet you. And actually, that's enough for now. You know, we don't need to sort of rock up with a CV to feel like we're validated or, or made worthy. And we all do it. And I'm really challenged by it. And I notice it a lot. And it's something that I've really tried to avoid doing and just get to know me as Bruce. Um, mm. And figure out the rest from there. I've got two yeah. thoughts on this. The first is yep. when I lived in Wanaka, when you'd meet someone at the bar, <laughs> it was, hey, I'm John. You're like, oh, what's up, John? Mean and then you just, how was your day? Mean. All right, cool. Yeah. You keep going. When I yeah. moved to Auckland, <laughs> the second, the <laughs> right. first question was, "Hey, what's your name?" John. And the next question would every single think? time be, "What do you do?" <laughs> and yeah, and I'd never heard it before so often. And I started to realize what was happening, and it was this subconscious position on the other side of where you fitted in the power totem pole of relevance which Correct. they could potentially leverage from and i noticed this years ago and it was the first time i come up and i was like wait a second like in my whole life you know growing up on a farm in Dargaville, no one asks you no one cares growing up in fiji no, no one asks you no one cares growing no, up in Adonai, no, Crush yeah. no one cares going in snowboard world no one cares in snowboard world it was what's your name john where are you from and they'd be like oh Canada or from France yeah. or you know it was global it was never ever ever for the first you know 25 yeah. years of my life associated with title so do you think it's a Auckland centric thing I guess <laughs> or do you I, think I don't know I, mean, I, I, I don't know I, I think it's a corporate thing in some ways it's a kind of a corporate world thing it's kind of like trying to keep up with the Joneses all that sort of 
Yeah, I love a Māori world. In the Māori world, you know, you, when you do your pipiha, you sort of talk about your whakapapa and you talk about your whānau and you talk about where you're from and your iwi and your hapu and all these beautiful things that, that, that really is what we want to know about people, you know, the richness of, of humanity. And at the end, you sort of say your name. I was having a talk to Amanda, my wife, about it the other day, right? So we've got three kids who are adult kids, right? And she says, often as a mother, she doesn't feel valued by society, right? Because there's nothing tangible or tied to it. Like, she didn't earn a million dollars. She's not driving a mm. Porsche. She's not living in the house because of her effort. But what she's created with her effort, um, and whether you're both parenting or single parenting, whatever it is, is three amazing young adults because of this incredible effort that she's put into it. But it's not really naturally seen as... Uh, do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she said she was a, a lawyer or something, people go, oh, that's really interesting. But if she said, oh, I'm a mother of three, or I'm a dad, and I'm a mother, I'm a father of three, and I brought up three amazing kids, um, that's the first thing I'm going to tell you about myself before I tell you what sort of car I drive, et cetera. I don't know. I, I'm, I think so, that's a much better way to start, isn't it? Yeah, there's, <laughs> it's very, um, it kind of goes to the, the, it makes people potentially feel uncomfortable because they're going to have to question how they, they potentially judge others. So I used to go to this fancy Correct. gym in uh, Auckland. I won't say what one. But I'd go there, early, <laughs> I go, I'd go there early in the mo- very early in the morning. And at the end right. of the workout, you'd go in and it'd be like 6 o'clock, whatever it is, and smashing it out. And then we'd go into the sauna after. And in the sauna, everyone's there in their like boxes and towels or whatever. Like There's no, no suits. There's no pocket squares. There's no veil. There's no nothing. And I came up with this yeah. thing called the sauna effect. And the sauna effect was right. where... It didn't matter. No one cared what anyone did. You're there and you're flipping boxes and your togs or whatever it is, and you're just talking as humans, right? And it's interesting as everyone goes and gets changed on these slides. They split to the males, walk female side, then they come out, and then they put their their armor, their shells, their chameleons on the yeah. the, the, the suit jackets, yeah. the, the the they're holding the Audi keys. They've got the Rolex watch. They got the and all these pieces add up to this this thing. Which it, so I, I totally know what you're talking about, but I don't. And think, I just think sorry, go. sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. You go. Yeah, go. I no, just, I just, and I and I just. Oh, you go. Sorry. No, no, mate. <laughs> I'm interviewing you. You're smarter than me. You go for it. I was just going to say. I just. Say, I'm just saying. When you step into humanity and actually get to know someone for who they are, and actually hear about their whānau and their upbringing and where they're from, their iwi, their hapu, and all that sort of beautiful stuff, uh, I really don't give a shit about anything else. I, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm really interested in now. And maybe I've just mm. got older and I don't care. But I mean, when I was younger, I used to chase all everything else, like like most people do. But I don't know, as I get older, I go, actually, I want to know who Robert is. I want to know, you know, he's got two young kids and he's loving being a dad and he's investing in those two beautiful young children and they're going to become world break breeders themselves, whatever that looks like for them. I'm interested in that story. And I think we should all strive to hear that story more. Um, yeah, to, vali- my to validate opinion. that. You know, someone recently asked me, um, I met them at this uh, fancy little Illuminati dinner thing I was, I was doing in the city, and they, they were very posh and fancy, and they said, oh, it's Sam Robert. And they said, and literally was like, what do you do? And I said, oh, you know, actually for the last like, you know, three, four years, I've kind of just been in, kind of off the grid commercial. I've been sort of just a present father with my two daughters. And they were like, nice, nice. Oh. So, you, and, then, and then he goes, what? So you're not really doing anything? <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, okay, mate. I think, yeah. All right, cool. Just, that's other, all good, than, all other, than, <laughs> other than creating two beautiful humans that are going to be contributors to society in the future. You know, I, and I'm not yeah. talking just financial as well. I mean, and I guess the whole thing comes from, you know, I'm also asking myself, well, therefore, if I'm looking for humanity in people, then what am I also doing to give back? What am I doing to encourage mm. others and, and to build into that space? And again, I fall in this trap myself, mate. It's all about how big my house is or my car and all those sorts of things. But I, again, like last week when I was talking about it, it's actually a lie. It, 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 it doesn't, 
it's not really what life should be about and the fulfillment of life. Um, and when you go to simpler places around the world, you suddenly realize that we're probably chasing the wrong master and the wrong thing. Mm. It's pretty yeah. deep for a Saturday, mate, but I, I like where you're going because I've, yeah, I've lived and weaved through that for, for a bit, but no, I definitely get it. I know. So how yeah. do you think um, the average, what, what's a question that the average Kiwi should ask themselves as they head into the week with this in the back of their mind? Well, someone said to me the other day, what's your fuck up or what's your story? And I actually think that's a really nice way of starting it, right? So, mm. hey, tell me about your story. So where are you from? Oh, I'm from Wellington. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, I'm a Hurricane supporter and... And you start having that conversation. Maybe we should ask that question rather than what we naturally fall into is go, hey, Rebecca, cool. So what do you do? Mm. And maybe just think of a different question. Like, so where are you from, Rebecca? You know, well, actually, I'm split between two cities. Oh, that's interesting. What's that about? And, and actually start to look for questions that are probably more, not too deep because you don't, want to, you don't know the person, but certainly a bit more interesting than just saying, what do you do for a job? And I mm. just think if you can just try and not do that this week, like, how are you going? Uh, my name's Bruce. My name's Rebecca. Good, cool, man. So, so, um, so where are you from, bro? You know? And yeah. you've got a fascinating story from where you're from. And I think people need to deserve to hear that rather than what you do for a job. What is it again? What do you do? No, I'm, still, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, Bruce, absolutely <laughs> lovely talking to you again. Enjoy the water. Enjoy the weekend. And thanks once again for some good um, thinking, some musing, standing your truth or hustle for the worthiness. Absolutely love it. All right, My man, Bruce Pearl, okay. ch- champion, uh, CEO of Spirit of Adventure, Rebecca Live, episode 306. Coming up to wrap the hour, you're on Today FM. Live from San Francisco. And streaming now on Facebook Live. It's Rebet Live with how to turn your passion into profit. On Today FM. Alrighty, coming to wrap up the show, Rebet Live episode 306 on Today FM. Hope the Saturday is rolling, hope the, the long weekend is going well. It's been a great and busy day. I've enjoyed the conversations, joined the banter, and I'm going to be joining even more coming up, Sport with Mark Paird. How are you, my bro? I'm good, thank you, sir. Uh, and how are you? The Easter, Easter, Easter is in strong this weekend, uh, and the NBA playoffs are beginning. Uh, it'll be a, oh. all, a, all been massive noise coming out of your area, wouldn't there, with the Golden State Warriors? Absolutely massive. But more importantly, was the troll effort from Patrick Beverly standing oh. up as if we are the champions after <laughs> trying to get through the first rounds just to make it. He was just absolutely on fire. I love the banter and the passion, and I think it's um if you haven't seen it, YouTube the reaction of Patrick Beverly at the end of the last game. And geez, that is, that's passion, that is sport, I love it. Yeah, you got to be happy for the Minnesota Timberwolves making it in. Uh, we're going to be talking a bit about that. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little Super Rugby with Pizzalatini. Uh, Wayne Smith joins the show today and also uh, Wellington Phoenix captain Oliver Sale. Back in Wellington playing footy. Let's go. Let's All right. go. Mike Pierre going to be coming up next. All things sport. Enjoying the weekend. Thanks so much for everyone for tuning in. Thanks so much to TT doing some technical wizardry today. If you don't know, now you know. Big ups to TT. Big ups to all the crew. And uh, big no big ups to Brad, who's still just got me out of the first 15. I just can't believe it. Me and TT can't believe it. Enjoy the rest of the day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Rebet Live, episode 306, Today FM. Giddy up. Be good. Be great. See you soon, team.